Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. Hello again, dear friends. Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing evolutionary solutions to our current challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So please, jot down your thoughts and share this hour, we'll be exploring climate crisis, manifestation of the human shadow. After the unprecedented appeal of 2020, we focused Mission Evolution's guests and topics on creatively moving forward to manifest a better tomorrow. Many practices, both ancient and modern, teach that our outer world is merely a reflection of the inner one. This concept has found so many sources that it warrants a closer look. If indeed our inner landscape creates the outer one, we're in a world of hurt on both counts. Looking outwards, we see wars, rioting, civil unrest, anarchy, climate crisis, pandemic, and massive death of species. If this is a reflection of our inner workings, I'd have to say our inner worlds are one big hot mess. Historically, the tendency has been to attempt fixing things from the outside while denying any dysfunction on the inside. What would happen to the outer world if instead we turned within and addressed the imbalances that have been festering there for generations? With this hour to explore that very thing is Jack Adam Weber. Jack is a licensed Chinese medicine clinician with over 20 years experience. He's also a life coach, climate activist, organic farmer, artist, and celebrated poet. His most recent book is Climate Cure, Heal Yourself to Heal the Planet. Jack writes about holistic medicine, emotional depth work, mind-body integration, and climate crisis. He developed the Nourish Practice, a deeply restorative somatic meditation experience that doubles as an educational guide for healing through the wounds of our childhood. His website, jackadamweber.com. Jack, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thanks, Gwilda. Good to be here with you. I'm so glad to have you. So you're a licensed... Uh, Chinese medicine clinician. Where did you get your training? I 
studied and trained at Yosan University, which was in Santa Monica. It's now moved to Culver City, but that's in the Los Angeles area, Southern California. How long does it take to become a licensed Chinese med- medical clinician? Too long. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, program, the program itself was uh, four years, year-round. Goodness. Yeah. Goodness. Would you describe for our listeners exactly what is a Chinese medicine clinician? What all, does, what all do you cover? Um, Chinese medicine primarily re- relies on four domains of treatment um, therapeutics. So one is acupuncture. The other is herbal medicine. The third is uh, meditation, energy practices. And the fourth is uh, diet and lifestyle. What what drew you to the field? Oh boy, I'll give you the sh- I'll give you the short answer. Um, I was originally in college as a pre med student. I wanted to become a Western medical trained surgeon, and I still think I would have been really good at that. But I I took the acupuncture needle instead, and I disillusioned with Western medicine um, and that. Um, trajectory. So I took a lot of time off and got into Tai Chi and Qigong and meditation practice. And I originally wanted to study Ayurveda deeply. And I, I did for a time, but then it wasn't really recognized here in the United States as well as Chinese medicine. So I delved into Chinese medicine and found a, a wonderful home in it. What does being a Chinese medical clinician have to do with the climate crisis? Hmm. Well, a lot. <laughs> I I would say that you know there are lots of ways to answer that question. You know, I I'll just start by throwing out that that yin yang and the five elements, which are the the foundational metaphorical frameworks of Chinese medicine, are real life representations of our interface and interaction with the natural world. And the yin-yang symbol and the five elements are overarchingly um, metaphors and, and systems of wholeness. So that kind of wholeness means that human beings have to live in accord with the natural world. And that means both regulating and, and integrating ourselves and outwardly treating the world kindly and respect, uh, respectfully so that the world treats us well and we treat us well in a, in a reciprocity. Um, and then just the last little bit is that I became, um, galvanized to the climate crisis because my practice is rooted in a reverence of nature and working with natural products. And when I realized that the planet itself and the natural world was in such dysfunction, I, the healer in me came out and said, you know, the, the earth needs to be my patient because if the earth isn't well, then how can how can we be well? So that's kind of how it grew for me. And my my love of Chinese medicine is is rooted in my my love of the natural world. I know that um, now. I don't. I haven't studied much of Chinese medicine, um, but uh, I have studied deeply in Native American medicine, and you're reflecting the same thing. Um, they they talk four elements: right. water, air, earth, and fire. But um, but it's it's my you know many of my teachers told me we cannot separate ourselves from what we do to the world, right? Um, and to the degree that we separate ourselves from the world, we separate ourselves from balance. Is right. that what you're talking about? Yeah, 
that's a that's a good summary of it. Yeah. Okay. In in your latest book, you made a connection between personal healing and healing the planet. Could you explain to us how you got there? Sure. So, you know, before this interview, I, I really, and before each interview, I try to kind of dig down and, and feel what's most alive for me and what I most want to share. And, and so when I realized the climate crisis and I realized the extent and the severity of the climate crisis, I was alarmed. I was depressed. I was sad. I was, um, I was really bent out of shape. And so I, I was bewildered at how we could have such a crisis happening and so few people engaged and, and most of my friends and most of the public I interact with and most of the media that people were just not aware of what was going on. And it was like, how can we have this horrible thing happening? And so few people are engaged. So my, my meditation, my inquiry, I began an inquiry process. Why is that the case? Why are, why are we in such denial? Right. In short. And I began to formulate some hypotheses about that. I begin to began to have conversations with people, with scientists, with educators, with psychologists, with colleagues in Chinese medicine. And because of my love of depth psychology and and my sense that so much of what we do and don't do in the world has to do with our inner worlds and especially how integrated we are emotionally and cognitively, this prevents us from really engaging with the world. And there are also so many stressors from outside the dysfunctional system that we live in, capitalism, inequality, injustice. You know, we've seen that, especially under the, the, um, the governance of, of, of Trump and the GOP lately. But, you so know, all the, the... Go ahead. Uh-huh. Do I've, I've got kind of if I trying to word this question properly. Um, we're talking about climate crisis, and we'll continue to do so. But at the opening of the show, I listed all sorts of other things going on. But aren't they all the same thing? The climate being our Earth, but then you know the the pandemic, the anarchy, the social unrest, the, all of that stuff. Isn't that absolutely related? Yeah, I think that they're they're all crises, and they all demand of us a, a similar response. And that response, I think, originates from a similar place of integration or non-integration inside us, and also the 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 system in which we're in. We have certain limits in which we can act and and be effective in the world. So I think we need to change outwardly and inwardly in that sense. So um, I guess my my question was, does all the other crises that we're facing also come from within? Like we're talking about our disconnection from the planet um, and what we do to it. Is is that also the source of the other problems we're looking at? Yeah, my opinion is that it's a it's a it's a reciprocal dynamic. So, yes, I think that we project and displace our own lack of integrity onto the world then the worse that that world becomes and the systems that we create kind of become their own problem and then and then act back upon us creating further distance and fractioning so and and that creates a vicious spiral downward and, and when round I try, and round we go mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and what I try to share in clinic here and, and my work generally is how to turn that spiral upward, right, so that we begin to create integration again. That's absolutely what we're trying to focus on here, so I'm so glad to hear you say that. What do you see as the major crisis of our time? What, what, what do you see as the biggest problems here? In terms of what, outwardly, inwardly? Just in general, what, what do you think is the most impactful thing going on right now? Sans politics, of course, we don't go there, but... Okay. Um, I mean, outwardly, we have the pandemic, and we have behind that the climate crisis, which is an ongoing crisis. I think we'll get through the pandemic, um, but the pandemic is also in, in you know, unobvious ways linked to climate crisis and the degradation of the environment and how we've impinged upon the natural world and how viruses transmit more easily when we're in contact with the natural world in inappropriate ways and as that natural world is stressed. Um, and inwardly, I think the biggest crisis is emotionally, honestly. I think that we um, have to face our pain and deal with our pain and deal with our historical collective and personal traumas. And from there, we can have healing that we can move out into the world with. Do you think it's in avoidance of that inward wounding that we have become so uh, careless outwardly? Yes. <laughs> in a simple word, right? Yes. <laughs> so there's no doubt we've been in a world of upheaval. How does the resulting human fear and anxiety impact the environment and each other? So you, yeah, you, you alternate between really easy questions and then really deep questions, and I have to pause to, to see how to answer it concisely yet thoroughly. Um, and we're about to come up on a break, so if we have to uh, bridge the answer to the next segment, we can certainly do so. Yeah, I mean, that's a really big topic you just, you just brought up. And, you know, I'll just start with fear. I, I feel that fear is perhaps the cornerstone emotion inside us that, that causes us to retreat and sort of shy away from being engaged in the world um, or not. And there's a dynamic that I describe called, that, that I coined called our fear mark. And the, the fear mark is, is, is like our threshold of fear beyond which we will not act and we will not pay attention and therefore go into denial because it's too scary to face the truth. So the more we can deal with difficulty, the more we can deal with scary truths and scary things, the more we can raise our fear mark and the more we can engage in the world because our threshold for fear and engaging with discomfort is higher. Beautiful. Well, it's time for that promised break, and we will pick up on this on the other side because I think you're right. It's a very complicated and important question. So it is time for that commercial break. Jack and I will return shortly, so don't go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. 
And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Hello again. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion. We'd love to hear from you. What do you think about the impact of human health on the natural world? This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Lockdown Stress, Eating and Addictions. JC shares, I had no idea how food impacts addictions. It's opened my eyes to many things I can do to help myself and my family. Thanks, JC. Joseph brings to light some key elements that can shift the way we approach addictions of all kinds. I'm glad to have been able to share him with you. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org. Listen to the episode entitled Lockdown Stress, Eating and Addictions, and let us know what you think. Email me at info at missionevolution.org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. With us this hour, discussing how human health impacts climate change is Jack Adam Weber. His website, jackadamweber.com. Jack, we were just getting into um, a fear mark and denial. And um, if there's one thing that we've certainly seen throughout the pandemic and on all the things that have been going on is this polarization and denial. So people will take opposite sides of the fence and then deny everything in between. And it seems like we've been ripped apart in the middle and there's no place to meet. Is this have part to do with the fear mark? Um. That's a good question. And, you know, when fear is activated in us, it, it, it triggers our fight or flight response. So that fight or flight response, just look at it, fight or flight, right? That's a polarization in itself. So fear, when it comes up, if it goes unmitigated and unreckoned with, it causes a, polar, a, a polarized response. And if we follow it, then we become polarized. So the the important part of of 
working with fear in my estimation is that when fear comes up, we have to look at it. We have to evaluate, we have to feel it, but also evaluate whether it's a realistic fear or an unrealistic fear. And I think that there are realistic fears and, and other ones that we need to challenge. So do we abide the fear or do we challenge the fear? And for example, ch- uh, abiding a fear is, is being afraid of, of the, the virus, right? Being afraid of coronavirus, that's a reasonable fear. But then that fear can grow unreasonably unless we keep it mitigated. So that's kind of the lack of nuance that happens in the, in the social media realm is that people look at fear just very superficially and, and in a polarized fashion instead of an integrated fashion. And a fear, for example, that we don't need to abide is, you know, it is more in the anxiety realm sometimes where there's something that scares us. But as we look at it, it's not a true fear that will actually hurt us, like asking someone out on a date or giving a public talk, right? Those things bring up tremendous fear, but there are things we can move through and they're not really going to hurt us. So I think breaking down fear and really exercising emotional intelligence with, with how we do that is the cornerstone for not being victim to what FDR said of being afraid of fear itself. So a lot of people are just afraid of fear and denigrate fear. But no, fear has a very valuable, important purpose to, to, to save us and to direct us to right action. You know, there's something else that you brought up, and we'll talk more in depth at at it a little later in the program, but it has to do with childhood damage and trauma, and I'd like to ask you, how much of our fear that we uh, pick up or express in the present is actually not present at all, but simply triggered by present events, but it's actually fear from our past? Yeah, I think a lot of that has happened. I think a lot of the hysteria um, that we're experiencing during the pandemic is a triggering of of fear and and past trauma and that sense of insecurity and the sense of um, things breaking down. And, you know, when we harbor wounds in our heart, you know, our our figurative heart, when we harbor wounds in our emotional body, it's, it's unconscious. And things that bring the unconscious to the surface can bring about great chaos. And I think that that's a lot of what's happening. So I think that's an example of where it's, yes, it's reasonable to fear the, the virus, but then what about the hysteria? What about the panic, right, that turns into anxiety and chronic anxiety? And then there's reason, there's there's veritable reasons for anxiety, but when, when these things get triggered, you know, that requires that emotional intelligence. And for me, it requires also having the self-knowledge of what our triggers are and what our particular wounds are and what sets us off so that when we are triggered from the outside, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in a pandemic, that we can step back, we can pause, and we can see what's going on so that we can we can create an integrated wise response instead of just a panicked one. Do you think that the um, the pressure that we're under and all the stimulus, not so not so positive, the negative stimulus that we're experiencing, is actually giving us an opportunity to access and clear these hidden traumas that are in denial? <laughs> I appreciate your asking that. Absolutely, and and so that's the perspective that I that I offer in the book. It's a cornerstone of climate cure. Is is the perspective 
to change our perspective from, oh, this is so scary. Oh, this makes me feel terrible. That's why I mentioned earlier that we need to abide difficulty. And I think that that's really important, whether we're dealing with a pandemic or climate crisis, is to abide difficulty. So abide what feels not so comfortable and try to make friends with that space. Because if, if we don't, then we simply shy away and we, we, become, we become disconnected. Gulda, just remind me, what was your question once again? Because I went off and then I forgot it. I'll just cut it. It's okay. Bring it I was just asking, that's okay. I was asking if the uh, trauma that we're experiencing can actually be transmuted oh, right, right. to be used to, to heal within. Right. Thank you. I get lost mm-hmm. sometimes. So, yes. So, I, something I like to share is that, is that our, our inner lives and our inner wounds and the outer wounds and outer crisis intersect in our hearts. So that I mentioned earlier that as we're triggered from the outside and these, these sort of old wounds come up in a very amorphous you know, form as just like raw emotion and reactivity, that we step back and we can actually view the view crisis in a spiraling upward way that we get to have the opportunity to heal inwardly and heal outwardly. Instead of just, oh, this makes me feel terrible. Oh, that's awful. And we just shrink away, right? So the way to rise to the occasion is to see it as a healing crisis and opportunity. I would um, ask you to, if you have some tools, because we all pop in and out of this stuff moment to moment, right? Mm-hmm. We can be clear and present and something comes up and pretty soon we're in our history and we're in the back brain and fight or flight rather than in the heart mm-hmm. where we can communicate. Mm-hmm. How can one start to tell catch themselves when they're about to take that down, downward spiral mm-hmm. and are there some techniques or some ways a you can tell you're going there and b you can short stop it that's a good question so i think taking deep breaths is the first thing i would recommend and and even before deep breaths is to recognize when you're triggered so if you're triggered and you're having a, re- a reaction pause and begin to breathe don't engage pause and if it's with you know a a loved one or if it's in response to somebody on a social media thread pause and notice what's going on and then the second tier would be okay what is going on what's being triggered what am i feeling am i feeling angry am i feeling afraid um am i feeling sad and to acknowledge that and then from there you can see if the present situation is 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 meritus of the the reaction that you that you're having are you having are you responding to the situation or are you strongly reacting to the situation i think that when our reactions are out of proportion to the stimulus to the issue at hand then we have a chance to look at how we can interface and become better acquainted and and friends with and work with the particular emotions that are that are coming up and 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 those are those are going to be different protocols and different ways of being with with um, grief and with anger with anxiety with fear with hopelessness etc as we as individuals do that how does that impact our environment because I've had people say well I can be off, off totally off and you just kind of hold this center. And, of course, I work with this all the time is what I have to do. Mm-hmm. But 
it seems like there's almost like mojo that goes out into the room that other people respond to. Would you speak to that a little? In terms of speak to holding one center or, or the impact holding one center can have on our environment. Mm. Well, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a guy that did a really cool podcast I listened to a while ago. And, and one of my takeaways from that was he was talking about, um, I, was it apes or something? I, I, or gorillas. And, he, and, and there's the silverback. And the silverback was kind of the one like holding the space while all the squabbling was happening. And, and he said, you know, be the silverback. And I really appreciated that. So I try to keep that little mantra in my head sometimes. Um, so to, to, to dive into your question more specifically, you know, recent neuroscience shows us that a lot of our decisions and our beliefs are predicated upon emotion so that we have emotion in the body before we make decisions. And our decisions are less cognitive, right? Less intellectual than we actually think they are. So the more that we can be in touch with our emotional body and what's unconscious in us, I think the better we can keep in check our decisions and not act on, not act on our unconscious and knee-jerk emotions. Does that speak to what you wanted to hear? It does, um, to a certain extent, because um, these are big questions, I know. Yeah, but what, 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 what you're saying is like, know thyself is the key here, isn't it? Yeah, know thyself and, and go back to your question before about how to, how to regulate and how to, how to present what you need to present in the world in the most helpful way possible. And, you know, sometimes that is paradoxical. Sometimes that's standing up with anger. And sometimes that's um, striking something down. And sometimes that's uh, not looking very compassionate. But ultimately, if, 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 it's, if it's embodied wisdom, then the, the goal is always and in, in the result will be to have a positive outcome. So, you know, when we have to take strong action and act with tough love. And, and, and fierce compassion. What do you mean by embodied? Embodied wisdom. Um, in the sense that that there's an integration between emotion and intellect. So there's a lot of wisdom out there in the world, and it's intellectual wisdom. But I think a lot of the wisdom that's that's out there, whether they're memes or sayings or quotes that we really like, there's a ton of experience behind that. And that experience often requires a certain amount of suffering and difficulty. And to reckon with and reconcile difficulty to, to, to birth wisdom requires being in your body and, and working through difficulty, both, both cognitively and emotionally. So being embodied is, is a huge topic, too, isn't it? Because it seems like yeah. a lot of us are pretty disassociative at this point. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Does, is the disassociation a result of denial? Like so much of our emotion is held in our body. Do we disassociate to avoid it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that pings back to what we were talking about before, uh, you know, about not dealing with our pain. So when we don't deal with our pain, we just, we, we just don't engage. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's that magical moment for, for another commercial break. On the other side, we'll get deeper into suffering, pain, and how to transmute it into our gain. <laughs> Jack and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution, and we're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information Pack past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, my school, or the evolutionary tools we offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Jack Adam Weber. We're speaking about the interconnectedness of human health and that of the planet. His website, jackadamweber.com. Jack, we were starting to get into suffering, pain, and the wisdom that can be gained from that, which puts us right back into, well, we've been seeing a lot of suffering and pain. How can we transmute that into wisdom? So wisdom for me is something that's birthed from the darkness often. And I have to invoke uh, Carl Jung here and the, the depth psychologist that going into the pain body and going into the depths of our core wounds, whether those are from childhood or um, even from our adult, our adult lives, that when we don't face our pain, you know, there's an expression, hurt people, hurt others. And that's sort of the dynamic by which I see that we displace our own pain onto the world. And the cornerstone of dealing with this pain, in my experience, okay, there, there are lots of ways to deal with pain. There's mitigating pain. I do that, you know, with acupuncture and Chinese medicine and um, diet, etc. But the, the, the deepest way that I have discovered to really address pain at its root is through grief work. And grief work is something I discuss extensively in Climate Cure. And grief is like the polisher of our souls. It's what helps dissolve pain inside of us, just the way uh, soil bacteria break down what's no longer usable, right, to us and create nourishment, which, which perpetuates the fertility cycle, which is regeneration. So the way that we affect that regeneration inside of us is to, is to engage what I call in a poem, the soil's equivalent. And the soil's equivalent to that beneficial bacteria inside of us is grief and grief work. And, and by feeling our pain and by going into our past, ideally done with um, a psychotherapist or counselor or, or trauma expert, this way we can... We, you know, we cry out our pain, 
we we emote our pain and part of that is is anger work you know which is part of the larger body of grief work so really going into grief work and 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 polishing our soul because in in, in the way of of releasing the pain that we've held inside and that's a deep way to to heal the the core of ourselves so that we can become more clear and give something beautiful and loving to the world and that process of grief work itself in my experience really um, galvanizes and 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 emboldens compassion and empathy inside of us you know as, as you're speaking it, it come it comes to me you know nature does this wonderful thing that you know things bud in the spring but they they die in the fall and they go into the snow to be composted in the winter and that's a form of letting go letting things go back to their constituent parts mm-hmm. isn't that what grief does for us and why <laughs> do we avoid it so <laughs> yes you speak in my language grilled almost <laughs> as if you've read my book twice um yes so when I mentioned earlier the yin-yang simple and the cycle of the five elements, that's the seasons of life. So we go through the summer, the, the fruition of summer, into the decline of autumn, to the death of winter, to the rebirth of spring. That is the cycle of, of life, death, and rebirth. So that is what grief does for us. I call it dying to our pain. So, And, and that's the process I just described in grief work, so that we... We, we become, we relive and we re-experience the pain inside of us that has been sheltered from us and that, that, that has been stuffed down and repressed. And, and, you know, there's no shame in that. You know, as kids and, and some of us have had to, had to go through horrific experiences in life and we had to dissociate and we had to separate. So there's a very blessed and, 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 um, and fortuitous uh, um, dynamic of of dissociation. But as adults, I think that part of a, becoming an adult and the rite of passage into adulthood is is to unearth these these pains so that we can treat the world kindly and we can treat others kindly and not just displace our pain via hurt people hurt others. That that so explains this this damage and pain that's been passed down generation to generation is if the parents don't do the inner work, and it was never supported in times past, I mean, way times past, certainly, but, you know, in our recent society, it hasn't been. Just, you know, pull up, pull up your bootstraps and get on with it. Right. Um, so then we, we put it in denial, at, and it lashes out of there and strikes at our children when they display the same things we've judged against in ourselves. Um, how much of this generational damage do you think we're being confronted with at this point, rather than just our own? I think that I, I I think a lot of it, and and we touched on that earlier. That's the general that's the generational pain that you're discussing, and it's and it's the it's the work of grief work. I mean, for me personally, there were times when I I went through this work in in my twenties, and there were times when I was deep in the work, and I felt this. I felt these wounds just energetically going back generations. I saw, and then I saw the evidence of it, you know, in my grandparents, in my great-grandparents. But I felt like I was breaking a cycle that had lasted for so long. Um, So unless we do that, we just create, keep creating more of the same crap, right? So it's like in an intimate relationship. If you don't 
if you don't wake up to how you're sabotaging or injuring or creating violence in the relationship, you're just going to keep creating it. So that's the inner work. So the, I love that you said it this way, the recreate part, because mm-hmm. if we don't process it out, we hold the same imprint and superimpose the events of the past on the present and make a rerun out of the future. Yeah. And you're saying it's the grief work that can start to break that up, even if it includes, or particularly if it includes anger work. Yes, yes. And for me, anger work is part of grief work because anger, you know, in my experience and working with others, you know, we're, we're angry and we're pissed off that we've been treated this way and that we were violated or that we were abused or that we were neglected or, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, I also want to just point out that I, I think there's this idea or this myth that, you know, if we do grief work, if we do inner work, then we're like perfect and healed and whatever. And it's like, no, that's not my experience. I used to think it was it was possible, but and maybe it is for some, but I've done quite a lot of the work and I find that, you know, I still have my triggers, but I'm just so much more aware of those triggers. And there's a lot less fuel inside me that goes into acting out or or reacting so that I can pause and there's just a lot more integration but the triggers are still there and we become aware of them so it's a constant practice and a constant you know refining and healing process with you know with self and with others and again it brings me back to all these crises we've been facing are the fuel to enter into that process aren't they they can be should we choose I'm sorry, what was the, I think we broke up I said, just a little bit there. It's okay, going, going back to where we kind of started here, that, that the, the extreme crisis we find ourselves in right now can be the catalyst to be able to really engage in that work should you choose. Right, right, and I think that's really promising. You know, that's the sun on the horizon, and that's, you know, that's the morning sun right now, figuratively speaking, is that, you know, that we, we are in... You know, we are in crisis collectively. And and instead of waking up each day and saying, oh, another shitty day, you know, another horrible time in the in the pandemic and, you know, the climate crisis, whatever's going on. It's like, let me engage with this. Let me let me be proactive and and in being proactive and paying attention to what's difficult and to the problems in the world and becoming an activist, you get to be confronted with a lot of your pain. And I think that's a lot of why people don't do it. Right. So so the more we can deal with our pain and face the darkness, you know, and be supported by the light at the same time, the better world we're going to be able to create for however long we or anything lasts. I, I can't agree with you enough. So where do addictions play into the current condition of Addiction? our environment? Mm-hmm. Addictions. Mm-hmm. You know, when you say that word in this context, um, one of my mentors comes up. Uh, Marion Woodman um, was a Jungian psychologist and she speaks brilliantly about addiction and she um, talks about the climate crisis as well and the, and the environmental crisis. They're, they're a bit separate and they overlap. But, you know, she calls us a, just addicted animals that we just keep pursuing addiction and and. You know, with the climate crisis, that looks like consumption, right? So the more we consume, the more we feed the the needless capitalistic machine, the more fossil fuels we burn, the more the more we pollute the planet, etc. So there's an addiction and consumption and distraction. There's also 
There's also addiction in all the ways that we try to entertain ourselves to deny facing reality and the problems that we have. And I think that addiction is very dangerous in that sense also. That's not to say that, again, nuanced, right? Not black or white thinking, but black and white thinking here is that, you know, it's wonderful. You know, we should all distract ourselves. We should all have fun. But to a limit, it's it's when our distractions and our, the degree to which we pursue the light and entertainment are used as a way to wholesale deny and to perpetuate what we don't want to see, which builds the shadow, which then comes back at us from the outside, which is what I call climate crisis, our own shadow coming back upon us. And here we are where all of our addictions or a lot of them are being denied um, just by the circumstance. We are in lockdown. The stores are closed. You can't go out and do your shopping habit or your your socializing habit. And it it Mm. seems like I've had a lot of friends mention this, too. Seems like everybody's in a pressure cooker and people that were normally, you know, pretty even tempered are kind of going off the he's. So how much of that addiction and and being denied those particular addictions is pushing us into irrational behavior? You know, Kulda, I have never thought of that. <laughs> I love that you just said that. It just it's like an epiphany for me. That I you know, I've I've looked at a lot of these dynamics, but I've never looked at the addiction dynamic and how our addiction how we've been prevented from being able to pursue a lot of our addictions. And yeah, so if addiction is a coping mechanism, right, to defend against what hurts or what's difficult, then yeah, like if you can't be the if you can't be the addict and you can't pursue these things, then your you know your material is going to come to the surface pretty quickly, and you know you see that in you know people that try to stop smoking or stop trying to drink alcohol or stop you know um, eating. Uh, emotionally. So, yeah. So, great point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, th- <laughs> I think I think it plays a huge role in um, pushing us deeper into denial. So, you know, at that point, mm. you aren't we given a choice to either mm. do that inner depth work or destabilize? Right, 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 Quilda. And you know what comes up for me is that well, what happens? What happens when you know we lose that? that layer of buffering with our addiction, right? It's like our material comes up and what do we do? The anger comes up for me, right? There's been so much anger, so much lashing out. I think it's so easy to be anger. I mean, to be angry and right. And, and beneath anger is often the grief and the, and, and the pain. And so I don't think collectively we've gotten to a lot of that pain. A lot of the people that that I deal with and my friends have felt it and we share about that in support groups, et cetera. But I think that so much of the anger and reactivity, you know, kind of amalgamates with the, with the fear and creates this just chaos and panic. Chaos. Well, it's time for another break. We'll discuss more about this on the other side. Uh, Jack and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion. So don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your input is very important to me. To suggest a topic or a guest that you think would be of interest, email us at info at missionevolution.org. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Jack Adam Weber. His website, jackadamweber.com. Jack, let's change gears a little bit because you engage in holistic medicine. Would you please tell our listeners what that is? Mm. Well, I, I sort of did that at the beginning, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to bring it back because I kind of like to look at it in the how we can apply holistic medicine to um, the shadow work that we're looking at doing right now that we've been mm. talking about. Okay, so I'll, uh, I, holistic medicine or Chinese medicine, which is what I practice primarily, um, I think there are two two ways that it can help that that come up. One is uh, using the metaphors of the medicine, which I described earlier in, in our, in our show here. And the other is just through self-care like acupuncture, tweena massage, um, dietary therapeutics, herbal medicine, meditation, um, connection with nature. These things are, are the, the, uh, you know, the, um, the pillars of, of Chinese medicine. And these all help us sort of process things on a, on a mind body level. And then the metaphors of Chinese medicine, which we spoke about, um, being in tune with the seasons helps us connect with the natural world in a, in a, in a really nuanced, beautiful way that, that also teaches us, um, lessons about how to conduct ourselves. And we talked about that through life, death, and rebirth. It seems to me that uh, the earth is such a rich, the natural world is such a rich uh, source of balance because it's constantly moving and constantly remaining in balance in its own way. Right. How can we possibly, I mean, you know, we, we say, well, we're an imbalanced and that imbalance is now showing out up in our outer world, you know, by the abuse that we've done to each other and the planet. But we can't come from a balanced place if our bodies are imbalanced. Is that how this is going to help? Is that how what? Is that how uh, holistic medicine and Chinese medicine can help? Is all these different aspects bringing your body back into a balance so you can express through the body in a balanced way? Yes, I, th I think that's one aspect of it. So that's, I think that's the easiest way, perhaps, that that's the, the physiological way. And the other way that I've described for most of the show is the psychological, emotional, spiritual way. Um, which is going through the death and rebirth process of of grief work. Um, so yes, so these are the different levels on which we can use holistic medicine to address our whole being, ourselves and our relationship with the world, right? So in an eco-psychological sense and yin-yang as light and dark, right? That represents conscious and unconscious and 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 then the five elements, which are the further breakdown of, of yin and yang, which is following the seasons, which goes from light to dark, right? Winter is the nadir of darkness and summer is the apex of, of light, which is yang. And so you know, there's no time here, obviously, to get into details about this. But those models are beautiful, rich wisdom models for how to live in balance inwardly and outwardly. You know, all traditions have some form of ceremony um, 
or practice that helps their people, you know, historically, mm-hmm. align with light and dark, um, align with the seasons, align with the earth and her and her cycles. Um, you know, and now we've kind of deteriorated those into instead of the winter solstice, it's Christmas and all the marketing. <laughs> but originally those things were designed to help us stay attuned. Do we have enough of those left and can we re-engage? Do you have any place that you recommend people find that? I think rituals are really important and celebrating the solstices, you know, sort of instead of or at least more than, you know, that the frivolousness of Christmas is important. So I'd say definitely, you know, being mindful of the equinoxes and the solstices and having ceremony around that and celebrating the sort of more more pagan sort of, you know, natural rhythms of the earth will bring us back to the earth instead of to the, you know, capitalistic consumerist models that, that we've sort of, you know, distorted the holidays into. So I think coming back to, um, you know, a, a nature-based reverence of the world and the rituals and the ceremonies and the natural cycles that go along with that. And those are all mirrored in Chinese medicine, yin-yang and the five elements I just I just mentioned. So I, I think that's very important. You know, you mentioned pagan, and pagan has a bad name, a bad rap. It's mm-hmm. like some people, they hear pagan, they think, oh, no, it's, it's anti-Christ, it's anti-Christian. Yeah. But Jesus practices practiced all of this 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness i mean you know he spoke of all of this um it's so it's not um a um a dark art so much as coming back and balance with the natural world is is that what you mean by pagan yeah that that's the sense i meant and i didn't mean it in some like you know weird occultish kind of thing or in anything pejorative i just meant it in the sense that that i that I that I would mention Taoism, right? Taoism itself, from which Chinese medicine sprung, is simply a way of living in harmony with the natural world, and so that's what I meant. Beautiful. So, what are the physiological impact of denial? Because we talked about how damaging denial can be, from a Chinese medical perspective. What what starts to happen physiologically? I love your questions, Gwilda. <laughs> I just I just have to say this: that these are some of the most challenging questions I've ever been asked in an interview, and I had no idea any of these were coming. Right? So you didn't brief me on any of this. So I'm just answering from <laughs> from the from the from the um, innards here. Um, so denial right is a repression and so whether we're we're repressing grief or repressing anger um repressing fear those cause what's called in chinese medicine stagnation right and so a lot of people know that that you know this you know kind of new age expression of go with the flow right well that kind of derives from uh i a cornerstone of Chinese medicine, which is that the qi or body's energy always needs to be flowing, right? And where where stagnation occurs, disease happens. So emotional repression is just as significant, if not more significant, than like physical repression, whether we're eating a horrible diet or we're not or we're not moving. So if you sit on your couch day in and day out and don't get out and exercise, you're gonna develop stagnation. But stagnation also happens um, mentally and it happens emotionally. So being able to move through these things helps prevent denial and denial creates this kind of stagnation. So the answer is that there are lots of ways that we can move the stagnation of denial. That's, that's physiological, 
that's um, cognitive, mental, and and also emotional. Denial can actually cause kind of a psychosis, doesn't it? I mean, it's like you're not in the present moment. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that gets into some nitty gritty about you know <laughs> how we're defining psychosis and stuff. But right. but it it certainly it certainly can lead to um, disillusionment and and delusion about what's real and what's not real. Yes. Yeah, the delusional part, I think, is we're seeing a lot of that. And yes. now, how does the physiological impact of um, denial compare to the impact caused by fear and anxiety, again, from a Chinese perspective? Well, I, I think that they're different dynamics, right? So denial, so let's just kind of narrow that a little bit just for the sake of discussion here. So that if we look at denial of fear and anxiety, um, versus just experiencing fear and, and, and anxiety, then that sort of, that, that, that paints the picture. So, you know, if we're denying our fear, I think we're, we're just causing that kind of repression and that bottled up fear, which often, in my experience and observation, you know, shows up, manifests as, as anger and rage when we when we deny that fear right because that fear is the fight or flight response so if we suppress the fight or flight response whoa that's like you know that's the energy of saving oneself and protecting oneself so if we deny that you know that's that's what rage often looks like so so i i think if we're experiencing our fear and experiencing our anxiety and working with those with emotional intelligence and i go into that very deeply in the book. I, I can't go into it here because there's not time. But when we work with these emotions, right, we're not denying them, nor are we merely displacing them onto the world. And so that's that's the sweet spot that we want. We want the integration where we welcome and experience the emotion, but also curb it and work with it as necessary. I love that. I love that word displace because there, there we have projection. And I, I, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like there's a whole bunch of projection going on that is, is uh, putting what we, the angst we feel inside and casting it out around us and then having this feedback loop with ourselves, right. with our own, with our own projections. Um, right. And how do we recognize when we're doing that and how do we stop it? Oh God, that's a good question. <laughs> that's that's the hurt people hurt others dynamic. And mm-hmm. you know, another one of my mentors, um, psychotherapist, Jungian psychotherapist, Dave Rico, he I, I like how he breaks down projection and displacement. You know, he says that we these are my own words, that we project our issues and our stories and our dynamics onto others and onto the world, but we displace our emotion, right? So um I, I found it very helpful to to mine that 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 difference. Um, so, okay, now that I said that, I forgot your question. Please uh, remind me of it. That's okay. I was I was asking how we can recognize when we are projecting rather than processing. Okay, I think that goes back to to self knowledge, know thyself, like you said, so that you know having experience of working within oneself, knowing what our issues are knowing if we have, you know, fear of abandonment, knowing if we have, you know, fear of engulfment. Um, those are just two relationship dynamics that are, that are quite prominent. And, and just noticing what our issues are. And also, there's in, in the book I discuss um, emotional shadow work. So all of us, I think, are, are 
have an easier time with certain emotions and a more difficult time with other emotions. So if, for example, it's very uncomfortable for you or me to feel fear, well, then that's an area that we can watch so that if, if fear comes our way or if anger comes our way, you know, a little light goes in in our head, you know, which is the self-awareness. Okay, I have issues with anger. I have issues with fear. And then we're already in a field of sort of being more of the observer of what we're doing or at least coming back and observing ourselves and revisiting you know, a dynamic that we had, whether it's, you know, in a personal relationship or, you know, at work or, or whatever. So that, so yeah, so it comes back to this know thyself and, and know thyself enough to be able to pause and to, to notice what our issues are and then to mitigate and work with them and not merely project and displace them. So by knowing ourselves, recognizing these are our issues, owning them, that keeps us in the driver's seat rather than giving away our power. It's a good way to summarize it. <laughs> <laughs> We're just about out of time. What is your vision for the future? Boy. <laughs> a great question to ask when we're out of time, Gilda. Um, I, you know, I, I would have to say I put that vision into the book. I think it's the, the, the summary of all that we've described here. I think we have to create new outer systems, right? I mean, that there's there's been a, a elitists and and you know families and you know that the 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 corporate elite that we know that are out there that have been kind of running the show and the fossil well, fuel companies. I'm afraid I did cut you too short on this one. So I, in closing, will tell people where they can get your book to find out the answer right. to that. But unfortunately, <laughs> we are out of time, Jack. Thank right. you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Gwilda. Talk to you soon. Our guest this hour has been licensed Chinese medicine clinician Jack Adam Weber. Jack is the author of Climate Cure, Heal Yourself to Heal the Planet. His website, jackadamweber.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listener download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world.